Alright, let's remind ourselves of what we're coming from from last week. Last week we covered the confidior prayers, which are those prayers before the altar. They're confessional prayers. They are consecration prayers that are done by the priest and all those who are serving at the altar, readying their souls to go to the altar of God. And if you remember correctly, we want to be very specific about what altar we're talking about. Even though we have a physical altar that we ascend to in our physical sanctuary in that place over there, the real altar that we are consecrating ourselves for and asking God by His Holy Spirit to move us from all that is dead in us to His life to come before God is because we are going before the eternal altar of God where the kingdom of heaven on earth and uh, in heaven are joined together. And we are going to stand before the living God crying out for mercy accepting His grace and His healing upon us and strengthening us to go beyond which we have ever been before because of the very life of God within us. So just as all of you prior to Mass and as you enter the place of worship are to prepare your soul to be with God, so do the priests and altar servers through those confidior prayers. We also covered the Asperges. Thou shalt purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean, which is done throughout almost the entire liturgical season except for Eastertide. And we also covered the vidiaquam, that is what is done in its place during Eastertide. And we remember that in those moments, based on the theology we talked about last week of what's really going on, God's activity among us, that as that holy water, the baptismal waters, are sprinkled upon us, We are receiving cleansing, we are receiving life, we are receiving the forgiveness of sins. To what end? To the end that we go and be with God together. And that was what those were about. If you missed those teachings, please go online, take a listen to those, because I think it would be very helpful to you in your experience of God during those moments. And so now we begin... We've been here at the preparation, and as Kent Kirk cleverly put, base camp up here for quite a while now. And though there's still some preparation to come, we finally come to the place where we begin our ascension. We begin together ascending the mountain. And you see this actively as the priest, followed by the rest of the altar servers, ascends in the sanctuary up the stairs to the altar. That's a great sign in your mind of where we are in the liturgy. Everything prior to that point has been the preparation of our souls, our bodies, our minds to come and present ourselves in worship to God, a sacrifice presenting ourselves as that sacrifice to God, preparing for that. Now you see the priest and the altar servers ascend. You know that we are beginning our ascension. But there's something that's not in the missal. It's not going to be in the pew missal. I want to share with you two prayers that the priest makes as he ascends to the altar and once he gets there. Because the priest is praying not only for himself, but all of us. Listen to these prayers. As the priest ascends the steps, he prays, Take away from us our iniquities, we beseech Thee, O Lord, 
that we may be worthy to enter with pure minds into the Holy of Holies through Christ our Lord. I want, to, I want you to hear it again. Take away from us our iniquities. Why? That we may be worthy to enter with pure minds into where are we going? The Holy of Holies through Christ our Lord. The prayer is yet another prayer of consecration, even as the priest ascends the altar praying for all of us. Take away, cover our sins so that we can enter that most holy place clean. The Holy of Holies, if you remember in the tabernacle worship and in the temple, all the temples of the Old Covenant, was that space deepest inside the temple. That is the exact place where God Himself dwelled among His people. God in His glory and His presence dwelled among His people in that very spot. The same room in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. So this prayer that the priest makes, asking that through Christ Jesus, for except by His blood, there is no way for any of this to happen. There is no way for cleansing. There is no way that the temple veil would have been torn into, allowing access of God's people into that very place, the Holy of Holies. And so this is our prayer, that we all would be purified by the blood of Christ and graced now to enter where He has made a way for us to be. Because your God so desired to reunite with you, to have communion with you, that He became man, that He lived, that He shed His own blood that He died and was raised and has filled you with Himself by the Holy Spirit to go into that place and commune with the One who holds you together and created you in the first place. The second prayer that the priest makes once he has arrived at the altar in silence is this. We beseech Thee, O Lord, by the intercession of Thy saints whose relics are here, and of all thy saints, that it may please thee to forgive us all our sins. And here the priest is asking on all of our behalf, believing that in the Mass, the body of Christ in heaven and on earth are present, joined as one, so we ask the saints to intercede for us for the cleansing of our sins. We ask first of the saints whose relics are here, it says. And those saints whose relics are in our presence, in either the nave, one, a few in the nave and mostly on the altar, are St. Raphael, St. Herman, St. Blaise, St. Tikhon, St. Vincent, St. Peter, and St. Paul. So we ask those saints to intercede for our cleansing. And then we say, with all the saints, so all the saints in heaven and on earth, pray for us for our cleansing so that we may come into that Holy of Holies. So those are the prayers the priest makes for all of us on our behalf as he ascends to the altar. By the way, I want you to know, because you've got to understand this, every every prayer that we are to pray is not asking for something as if it's not going to happen. Every prayer that we pray 
is an expression of God's heart already towards us. The reason it's in the Mass is so that we offer ourselves through prayer, uniting ourselves to that which God intends to do. When we pray, we beseech Thee, O Lord, by the intercessions of Thy saints, that it may please Thee to forgive us all our sins. Our God desires and longs to forgive us our sins. He intends to. If we will come to Him in these prayers, with an authentic heart, knowing our need... He will meet us there. He will forgive us our sins. He will give us grace. And He will enable us to come and be with Him in the most holy place. To commune with Him. To know Him. So that He may reveal Himself to us in that place. All of these prayers are right prayers because they come from the heart of God of what He wants to do already on our behalf. We need to be mindful of that every time we lift up these prayers. So while, uh, I'm sorry, while the priests and altar servers ascend the altar, the choir begins to sing something, right? What's it called? Before the collect, it's the introit, right? The introit. This word comes from the Latin word which means entrance, making the entrance into the holy place. That's where the word comes from. And the introit is usually a portion of a psalm, and it can also be an antiphon. An antiphon is simply a brief hymn singing and expressing a truth to us. Now the words of the introit are very purposefully written and chosen for every single Mass that you could possibly do throughout the year. Because the words of the introit, as the choir sings them, always set the stage for Mass by giving us the focus of our remembrance in that Mass. Right there at the very beginning when the choir sings, we're getting the words that is, are to begin by grace, focusing our thoughts as one. As we come to worship God through those remembrances and to receive from God what He intends to share as we celebrate that particular remembrance. For example, today's Mass... Our focus was on the motherhood. The Mass was called the Motherhood of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So the introit states the theme as we heard sung by the choir, and here's the words. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then the introit concludes with a portion of Psalm 98. Oh, sing unto the Lord. It's almost as if to say, Therefore, since a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and this son will be Emmanuel, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. So if the introit is the sung expression of our focus and our remembrance in that particular Mass, what should we be doing? We're not singing it. The choir is singing it, as it should be. What should we be doing when the introit is sung? And this is a good time, as now we're getting into the Mass proper, to understand that in the worship of God within the Mass, there are two different types of participation. 
The first type of participation is active participation. And in active participation, we ourselves are doing the action. That's why it's called active participation. When we're singing the hymn, we're doing active participation. And we're to attach ourselves to the words of that hymn, lift them up as prayers and praise of our own. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, for example, we are all corporately actively lifting up our voice unified in that prayer to God as Christ taught us to pray. When we say the creed together, we are actively participating. We are voicing our faith as an offering back to God. For this is the faith graced by God that transforms us. But no less important a part of our prayer and worship is the second type of participation, non-active participation. Now some people like to call this passive participation. I don't. Because it's not passive. Okay? Non-active participation doesn't mean that we're not praying. It doesn't mean that we're not praising. It simply means that we're not doing the act with our voice. For example, in the introit, we are not voicing the introit. But that doesn't mean we cannot join our thoughts and our hearts and our spirits as we hear the intro each sung, listen to the words, and participate by allowing God to help focus your heart to worship Him as we remember these very things. We are to be engaging that activity with our mind and our spirit and our very soul. We participate in that way. It's no less a participation than when we're doing it with our mouth. So when we hear the words of the introit, we should let them roll around in our mind. We should consider the words that are being sung. And I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about, about when words come in, really considering them. What does that mean? It actually occurs when the angels reveal to the shepherds that the Messiah had been born and they went to visit Him in Luke chapter 2. I want to read you this account so that you can hear Mary's response to all that she had been told about what the shepherds had experienced. It comes from Luke chapter 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. 
And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Get the picture. The shepherds come with this story of seeing this angelic multitude telling them where to go just to find this little babe in Bethlehem. They're sharing this story. All are listening. And Mary is hearing this unbelievable story that is blessing her soul. And what does it say she does with those words? She treasures them. And she ponders them in her heart. That's what we are to be doing any time when we are non-actively participating in the worship of God. Because you never know, and I'm telling you from experience, every Mass is different for me in my experience of God. And it will be for you. And you never know if you are presenting yourselves at all times, waiting upon God, knowing and believing that He wants to meet with you this day, pondering these things in your heart where God may speak to you, bless you, teach you, comfort you, offer you mercy. You never know when it's going to happen. But unless we are actively engaged, whether we are mouthing the words or not, engaged with our entire being in the worship of God, we may miss something He has to offer. And when it says that Mary was pondering these things in her heart, it literally means that she was bringing all of this that was told her in her mind, considering what was told her, I often like to use the phrase, because I think about it this way in my own mind, when I'm listening to the Holy Scripture being read, or listening to the sermon, or the introit, chewing on those words. Chewing on them to get everything, every bit of nutrition out of it that I can. Does that make sense? I'm really wrestling with them a little bit. And sometimes I'm wrestling with myself because I can't seem to lock on. You ever had that happen? We're filled with distractions sometimes, no matter how much we prepare sometimes for Mass. So I wrestle and I chew on those words and I'm trying to present myself to God in such a way that I might receive nourishment from that action. Does that make sense? And that's what we're called upon to do. Now, another thing that's taking place while the introit is being sung over us is the sensing of the altar. And we all see that. And I'm not going to go in. We've talked about sensing a number of times. We know what it represents. It represents that our prayers are going up as incense, just as Revelation talked about and was mandated in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. So at the very beginning of Mass... Once again, we're asking for cleansing to enter the Holy of Holies. We're chewing on the words of the intro, lifting them up as our own expression to God. And we are looking with certainty as that incense flows up, that everything being said, everything being sung, and everything that will be from that point forward is going up before the absolute altar of the living God who saves us. Okay? So having completed the introit, now turn in your booklet. It's only a few pages in. 
but it's marked as page 16. It's right after the vidyaquam, and you're going to find the collect for purity. I'll give you just a moment to turn to that. Again, it says page 16 in your booklet. It's at the bottom. So the collect for purity is now prayed. But let's remind ourselves of the meaning of collect. The definition of collect is this. It is a prayer, kind of like the introit. It is a prayer that collects our thoughts together, joins them as one, and gives us a focusing thought corporately together when one person prays the prayer, and that is the priest. So it is the collect, gathering our thoughts, again asking for purity, but listen to the words of this prayer. Because this prayer, when you hear it read, is to be prayed by you, in your mind, in your heart, in your very being. The collect for purity is prayed and the words are this. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Thy Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love Thee and worthily magnify Thy holy name through Christ our Lord. You have got to get the picture of this prayer because it is stating an incredible truth that's come upon us. We acknowledge this truth in that prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. We are admitting, praying back to God the reality. It is an expression of something we are to know as we approach our Lord. That we come before God, our souls, our minds, our desires, our hearts, they are all seen with perfect vision by this God of whom we approach. Nothing is hidden. There are no secrets hid. And you and I know, we want to play like Adam and Eve in the garden having sinned so many times with God from time to time where we want to pretend He has not seen it. That He doesn't know it. And even if we haven't acted out in sin, even our hearts are exposed before God. And by the way, if you think they're just exposed before God in the Mass, we need to really change our thinking. (laughs) Because God is in us. God is with us. He all, we're always exposed to our Father in heaven. There is nothing hid. So let's not pretend anymore. And the collect for purity is trying to get rid of the pretending. Let's get honest. Let's get real living in the true life of the kingdom where the king of all things who holds every molecule of yours together and gives you life, knows your thoughts, knows your sin, knows what needs to be forgiven before you ask. It's all laid bare before Him. And so we pray this prayer not to remind God. We pray this prayer so that the Holy Spirit might open us up to the reality so that we might find healing and grace to become more like Him. That's why it's prayed.
you know, the idea of this and the reality of this in the Christian life is said very well in Psalm 139. Let me share with you a few thoughts. The psalmist writes, O Lord, You have searched me and You know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You you understand my thought from afar. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Or where can I flee from Your presence? If I ascend into heaven, You're there. If I make my bed in Hades, behold, You are there. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We don't like to admit that. Of course we don't like to admit that. It's no fun, ever. But that's very true. But the reality is, and the psalmist says so perfectly, if all these things are true, if you always see me, if you've searched me at all times and know me, if the light is always upon me, your gaze fixed there, okay, Lord, then search me. Go ahead. See, here's the Christian response. I give you permission, Lord, to look so deeply into me. Give me grace. And give me courage to see what you see. So that I might all the more authentically cry out those words, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. And by the crying out of that authentic prayer, that I might receive just that and healing. The reality is... Anytime we refuse, because God does not force Himself on us, anytime we refuse to look in and see what He's seeing and give Him permission to inspect us towards healing, to reveal these things to us, we deny ourselves the work of God of healing that He so longs to give. And yes, I will go with you. That One of the hardest things to ever do in your life is to see yourself through God's eyes when it comes to our frailties and our humanity. But there are two sides always to the coin. If we will do that, go through the pain of seeing these things, You will be healed. You will be restored. Your life will be transformed. But just as the Orthodox always teach, it's always with the synergy of God and man. And so the collect of purity calls us to that synergy at the very beginning of Mass. I admit, Lord, even as the priest prays this, you see me, you know me, so search me. Have your way. Let me see anything you want to show me. And I will walk with you in that. And I'll cry out for mercy as need be. Okay? That's why the collect of purity is prayed. The second part of the collect of purity is that prayer for cleansing. Now that I've opened myself up, the words continue. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Thy Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Don't come up with creative thinking about yourself. No need. 
cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who will show you what to offer to God for healing. It's a grace gift even that. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Thy Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love Thee and worthily magnify Thy holy name through Christ our Lord. We pray not only the washing of our bodies. We pray the washing of our minds, our hearts, our souls. We offer them to God. But we don't ask for cleansing to no end. We don't ask for cleansing toward a vacuum. We ask for cleansing so that my life now cleansed, now healed, can love you, God, as the first part of God, Christ's summary of the commandments. Love the Lord your God. I am free to love you. And I'm also free not only to love you, but to worthily magnify your name. And that's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it is also the action of the Holy Spirit. Because having been cleansed and our sins healed and our weaknesses in the process of transformation, who is seen more clearly in us than ourselves? God. So the prayer is, therefore, God, show yourself. That's what magnify means. Show yourself through this frail flesh and blood that you would be glorified in this vessel because that's exactly what I've not only been created to do, but by my baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit, I have been now filled, graced to show forth the glory of God and His virtues and His nature in my life. So let yourselves please participate in those moments through non-active participation in the praying of the collect. The priest prays it, but we all pray it. And we should all be experiencing those things over time in that process. So now that we've played, we have prayed the collect of purity, the deacon now turns around And He proclaims to us the summary of the law as given by Christ. This is also on page 16 of your booklets just under the Collect of Purity. But I want you to know where this comes from, why we do it here. You remember in the Old Testament we read this, oh, very close to when we started, that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai communing with God, God fingerprinted the law in the rock, in the stone, and gave it to Moses. But then he commanded Moses to do something with it. He didn't just write it down for it to stay on the top of the mountain. He sent Moses to descend to the people to communicate all that he had given him, the law, to the people through the mouth of Moses. Where are we at the beginning of Mass? We're here, beginning our ascent. And the law comes down to us. And we have the law presented to us just as it was God's people at the base of the mountain with Moses. And what we hear is from Matthew chapter 22, the summary of the law as as, uh, given us by Jesus Christ, when one of the Sadducees asked the Lord, which is the greatest commandment? His answer is what you heard here read to you every Mass. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. Who says? Jesus Christ is giving you words in that moment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. The entire law of God is summed up here. Love God, and with God's love, love one another. So what are we to do when we hear Christ sum up the law at the beginning of the Mass? Every time, in fact, many of you may even use Christ's summary of the law, or actually the law itself, as preparation for confession. We hear the law, and you know what? We're going to see some things where, thank God by the grace of God and His Holy Spirit within us, we have held to the law. We are. We're also going to see those ways that we have not. And this is another point when we hear the law read. It's for two things. One is so that the law is revealed to us over and over again. Because the law is the very heart of God. The nature, the virtues of God are all contained in the law. We hear that, but we also check, where, where have I not? Where have I not loved you, Lord, with my heart? soul and mind where have I failed to love my neighbor as myself am I harboring anything against my brother or sister in Christ have I extended your love have I extended your forgiveness have I lived out those virtues you see and we're to ask ourselves as the law is read and washes over us again is it not a continuation of that psalm search me O God and know my heart. Huh? And so we do so. And do you not find it absolutely perfect in order? What is it that comes in the... Look in your book. What is it that comes immediately after the reading of the law? The cry for mercy. After the collect of purity where we have become aware of how exposed we are before God further offering ourselves to Him. Then we hear the law read over us, and we acknowledge we have not perfectly filled that. What an appropriate time for us to sing out and cry out to God, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. And three times again, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. But I want to be very quick to point out that when we cry out for mercy, one, yes, it can be the heart's cry over the grief that we experience over the ways that we're not like Him. That is absolutely part of our authentic cry to God for mercy. But there's something else that we have to be very aware of as to why we sing the Kyrie. And it's this. How many times in Holy Scripture, in the Gospels, when Jesus walked among us, do the people come to Him, all of those who are in need of either forgiveness or in need of healing, whether demon-possessed or disabled or blind, what are the first words out of their mouth most times? Lord, have mercy. It is an asking for the character of God to be expressed towards me in that moment. 
And are we not, whether it's physically, spiritually, or emotionally, are we not in need of healing every time, every day, every moment? And right there I go back again. This series is called The Mass and Our Life in Christ. The patterns we are going through are the patterns that should shape our daily living and experience in Jesus Christ toward the healing of our souls, towards the transformation of our very lives, right? Father Michael Kaiser, in his book Offering the Lamb, which, was on, which is on the Western Rite Liturgy, listen to his words. He writes, In the Gospels, Jesus was often greeted by those in need with the words, Have mercy upon us. Sometimes this was a prelude to the physical healing of disease, and sometimes to the forgiveness of sins, both of which are signs that the kingdom of God was present. When we cry for the healing of our lives, both physical and spiritual, at the start of Mass, what more appropriate petition could there be than, Lord, have mercy? Offer this as an act of praise. Thanking God for His mercy, we are in His kingdom and will experience His grace and peace. Have you ever considered that allowing God to bring to your mind sometimes those painful ways that were not like Him. And our experience of Him in those moments is absolute, miraculous, tangible proof that the kingdom of God is on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not what Jesus taught us to even pray? Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would encourage you, as we continue to go deeper in the Mass, hold tight to the understanding of our, pa- of our active participation with God in everything that we do. And those non-active, when we are to consider and experience God through the grace-filled consideration, pondering and chewing on what's being revealed to us about the nature of God or about ourselves. And please never forget, like Father Schmemann talked about in the first quote that I ever gave you when we started this series, when we go up to the mountain... We go up for the actual experience of God. We meet with Him. We are affected by that meeting. And then we go from that place and are sent by that God back into this world to manifest the reality of God and to manifest all the benefits of the kingdom of God in this world. Let it be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.